We're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30 in just a second. Um, but I just want to say a, a couple more things. Um, this is a gotta-have-it passage of Scripture. You know, there's some passages, I mean, you just, right, all Scripture is God-breathed, you get that. I'm a guest preacher, let me, you know, dispel any suspicion. All Scripture is God, but some of them it's like, I got to have this one in my Christian walk with the Lord, and that's uh, what Romans 8, 28 through 30 is. Um, these three verses are a feast of soul nourishment, and I come, hopefully, just to strengthen your souls via God's promise here in uh, this passage, passage of Scripture. And I will tell you, um, as a pastor, oftentimes when I'm spending time with people and as I hear many of their burdens, as I work with them and many of their sins, as I hear many of their concerns and difficulties and trials in life, um, one of the questions, one of the questions that's most common for me to ask people is just this, and I commend this question to you in ministry to other people, what do you think God's doing in all this? What do you think God's doing in all of this? And um, I, I remember I had a mentor um, when I was really kind of in an intensive training season in my life in um, ministry and discipling and, and biblical counseling. And I, I found him always asking that question. He always, he would frequently come to a passage like Romans eight twenty eight through 30. And, and uh, I, I just remember just kind of asking him, what is, it, what is it about this passage that makes you frequently turn here? And um, he said, well, I want God to be in the middle of the situation, in a person's heart and life and mind but they haven't invited him there yet. He's there, but they don't quite know it or see it. And in a, a place of pain or trial or difficulty or consequence, whatever it might be, they haven't quite uh, seen the reality of what is God doing in all of this? In any of the ways they could know, granted, many times we don't know, we don't know many things, oftentimes, right? We, you have some questions and things you don't get answered. I have some questions about some things, and sometimes they don't get answered, but what we can know about what God is doing, I want that, and I want that for you, and um, what my mentor had told me and had shown me was that oftentimes we can actually live like, kind of like functional deists, and what I mean by that is deism is God exists, but he's distant and he's far, and he's cold to the concerns of real people on a real planet and a real place that he has made. He doesn't really have his hand involved in the world in which you live or the world in which I live. He's not concerned about our living rooms or our kitchens or our workplaces. He's, he's distant, and, and sometimes... Sometimes we think he's a million miles away, even as Christians who he has sent Christ to die for. He, we think he's a million miles away when really he's actually right here, faithfully working out his promise just as he said. And so what did he say? 
This is the word of Lord in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Bow with me in a word of prayer, would you? Father, oh Father, thank you for your precious presence with your people this morning by your spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you promised you would be with us always, even to the end of the age. Thank you for a good portion of your spirit to proclaim your word, and thank you for a good portion of your spirit in your people. Father, I'm longing for you to strengthen and encourage the church of the living God here in Decatur this morning. That we might look upon you, Father. Cause us, by your Spirit, to lift up our eyes and see you in overflowing floods of goodness to us. To people such as us. We thank you that this promise is true that this is a promise for each one here that we can stand on. And we pray, uh, Father, that you would help us to leave with faith. Faith in the work of Christ on our behalf that secures this promise and makes it yes to us. Father, help me. Help me to love well with your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, kind of this passage, yeah, you might ask, well, why'd you pick this one? Why'd you pick this one? Well, um, I think I picked this one um, because it's a passage that is my testimony. If there was a passage of scripture that's meant um, more to me over the last 15 years of my Christian life, I wouldn't know what it is, so can I just share a, a couple of quick thoughts that I jotted down about what this passage has meant to me, and only merely, before we kind of jump into its details, only merely to encourage you and then uh, to say, I want it to be yours. I want it to be yours. Um, this promise in Romans eight twenty-eight through 30 is uh, the promise that has given purpose to my life every single day. You know that moment where it's time to tell your legs to flop out of bed in the morning? This is the promise that gives purpose to a moment like that. This has been the promise that anytime I felt like life was clinging to a sheer face, this is the promise that I would be clinging to. It's a promise to me that has answered some of the most complex questions about my journey of faith with the Lord Jesus. It's a promise that has answered difficult questions of marriage, of family, of children, of singleness. It's a promise that has carried me as if I was on eagle's wings when it, it seemed like I should not have been. 
It's a promise that has given hope dead smack even in the middle of sin. It's a promise that's given peace and instability, hope and hopelessness, and, and purpose to aimlessness. It's a promise that answers even what God is doing with His enemies for His people's good. There hasn't been a single moment of my life untouched by the truth and reality of what God is saying to us and how He's acting according to His promise. And it's a promise that is a cruise ship on rough waters. It's a promise that's high ground in a tsunami. Have you ever considered what your Bible would be like and your life with the Lord would be like if it was empty of promises? I need promises. Psalm 119.50 says, This is my comfort and my affliction, that your promise gives me life. And life is found here. This is a promise that is answers to daily questions. And it's a promise that is explanation to daily circumstances. This is a big picture summary of my story over the last 15 years. And if it could be some of yours in the next 15, that would be a gift of God's grace. Here's the big idea this morning. Nothing probably brand new for you, but here's the big idea. God does all things. He's doing all things things for your good and his glory god is doing all things all things for your good and his glory now i do want to pause for a moment and say this is a promise given by god to christians and when we enter the book of romans though i won't give a summary leading all the way up to this but Um, This is one of the most hope-giving chapters in the New Testament. It's blessing upon blessing upon blessing leading up to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It's a promise to to Christians, if you're a Christian, that you, you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, verses 9 through 11. It's a promise that it If you're a Christian, you've been adopted as sons and daughters in verses 12 through 17. It's it's bound up with, in verses 18 through 25, that as a Christian, you are, with all of creation, uh, God's redeemed. And then, as a Christian, the Spirit of God, God the Holy Spirit, is praying for you is praying for you. And that's where we come to in verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then verses 28 through 30 are, here is the will of God that the Holy Spirit is praying for you. And so if I teach what is true according to verses 28 through 30, this is what the Spirit is praying. That means this is what God is doing. That He actually is doing all things for your good and His glory. So 
This is a promise to Christians. If you are not a Christian and you are here, just hear the goodness of the God of heaven and earth to his people and look upon Jesus Christ and repent of sin and believe. And all you do is believe and receive immediate pardon and forgiveness and acceptance in every one of these blessings can be yours even before you leave today. So, verse 28, and we know. I love that. And we know. We know. You hear the Apostle Paul's faith as he says that? And we know. He's been building with all of these blessings, and now he's going to say, here's the will of God, and we know it. And I want you to know it. I want to know it. I don't want to know it just as words on the page that I've read before. I want to know the God and who, who my eyes look to for whom this promise is true. I know, and we, and we know. And um, sometimes we don't know. You know? Sometimes we falter in unbelief. It doesn't change God's promise or what he's doing. Um, but uh, we have to come back to this place of faith. We repent of our unbelief, and we say, we say normally, daily, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief, because I, I want to say with the same faith of the Apostle Paul, I know, Lord, I know, I know, Lord, that this is for my good, and this is for your glory, And we know, and we know, keep going in the text, that for those who love God, those are Christians, the beginning of loving God starts with recognizing that God has loved you and sent Jesus Christ, God the Son, in the flesh to live a righteous life that you could never live, right? Christians aren't a bunch of people who previously lived a a righteous life. We need the righteousness of Jesus, amen? And he died on the cross and he suffered and paid the penalty uh, for our sins, the death penalty in our place. He was raised from the dead, um, proving that the death penalty for sin for all who believe was paid for. And um, knowing the love of God is uh, the beginning of going, hey, I, I want to be among those who love God. Then it starts with believing on the Lord Jesus Christ who has loved you and died for you. And everything in this would be true of you. But he says, and we know that for those who love God, he keeps going, he says, all things work together for good. Do you see it? Remember the big idea is God is doing all things for your good and his glory. And here it is right here. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. How many things? Not most things. Not a few things. Not many things. Not what happens in church and not what happens on Monday. All things. All things. And in context, um, if you were to read the whole passage in, in verse, uh, verses like 
18 or verses 35, just glance at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? How about these kinds of things? Tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or the sufferings of this present time in verse 18. What about those things? Do those fit under all things? What about, what about your trial? What about what you walked in with this morning and the burden that you carry? It's interesting to me that in these kinds of tribulations and distresses for us that the place where and time where the promise is most needed is the place and time where the promise is most questioned. The Lord gives some encouragement to help us with our questioning. I love how the Lord doesn't just destroy us with our questions sometimes and our questioning. Oftentimes he gives encouragement to help us with it. In verse 30, he explains his grand divine drama for all of history for our encouragement. Let's jump down to verse 30 and we'll come back. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Called, effectual calling, the Holy Spirit's drawing ministry of us to Christ. He also justified, he pardoned our guilt and imputed the righteousness of Christ to us. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Make them really and practically and fully um, like Jesus Christ in his presence, this is God's eternal plan for all of human history. And he encourages us with it that while we haven't stepped yet into glorification, and between the justification and the glorification, we're all being changed day by day. We're being sanctified. We are growing in the grace and knowledge of in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that what his grand plan is, is what his daily plan is. Day in. And day out, your days, your moments, they fit into everything that he's doing in all of eternity to make you like Jesus Christ. And so he gives us this picture of what God's eternal plan is. And then I'm calling us to consider that this is also his daily plan. That when he says all things work together for good. It's a daily all things. It's a daily all things. It's a every second of my day all things. It's an every word that gets said to me. For better or for worse. All things. It's a everything I've done in my past, but now I'm a Christian kind of all things. It's in every circumstance in your workplaces or in your homes with your children. It's uh, when your children embarrass you at church. When you embarrass you at church. (laughs) All things. Now, clearly... God doesn't say that all things are good, does he? He doesn't say all things are good, or he doesn't say that when evil strikes, that he is the one guilty of evil. He's never guilty 
of committing evil. Rather, he says that all things work together for good. And that means that the sum of your circumstances right now is an orchestrated effort by the God of heaven who is your Redeemer in Jesus. It's an orchestrated effort to make you like Jesus Christ. It's an orchestrated effort for your good. Let's keep going. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I always want to know um, what's the purpose, right? What is the purpose? And I've mentioned it a couple times, but people say things all the time, like everything happens for a reason, right? Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. I, I, I get frustrated. I get frustrated because I'm like, yeah, but what's the reason? Give me something. What is it? Can I know anything? And I was like, like if you, uh, you know, it's like a, it's like a Hallmark card kind of, kind of saying. And when I hear it, it doesn't sustain my soul. As true as it might be, if spoken in the right way, um, it doesn't sustain my soul. What sustains my soul is promises, promises from Almighty God that are true. And so, uh, what is the reason? What is it? What is it? And uh, this is what verse 29 goes to gone to explain. Here's the purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Here it is. It's just speaking of God's people. To be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn. Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. So his purpose is to conform you to the image of his son, and that is for your good. And his purpose for conforming you to the image of his son is the glory of Jesus Christ, whom we all are becoming like. So if you came in today and you were maybe asking the question already, what is God doing in my life? This is what he's doing. He's taking the mud of your life and he's molding it into a fitting image of Jesus Christ. If you came in this morning asking, what is God doing? He is burning away the impurities to bring you forth as gold. If you came in this morning asking, what is God doing with this or that or all of this? He is opening a wound and he is cleaning it out that he might bind up and that he might heal. Collectively, what is he doing with all of us? He's picking up a bunch of beat up and uh, useless seemingly instruments kind of left in the landfill and he's taking them out and he's restoring them so that they can play the way they were made to be played. If you know Jesus, that's what he's doing. He's working all things. He's doing all things 
for your good, for his glory. One of the questions that's important to answer is, well, what is good? When he's working all things together for good, what is good? Good is what God approves of. And God approves of his son, and God approves of his glory. And so what he's doing is making you like his son, that you would reflect his glory, because that is what his goodness is. And one of the things that we have to then also ask after that is, if, if something of Jesus Christ were to increase in me, would that be better? Would that be better? Raise your hand if you think it would be better if Jesus Christ were to increase in you and through you. For instance, let's say, let's say your unrighteous anger, he was rooting it out in order to make you kind and tenderhearted and forgiving and patient and quick to listen. Would that be better? Right? Like where has the anger ever gotten you? Or if um, you just feel like everything about your life is victimhood and it's encircled in your mind in self-pity, would gratitude and thankfulness of heart return to your Father for every good and perfect gift that He has given you, would that be better Would, what would uh, selfishness, and it's all about me turning into, I'll give my life, would that be better as it reflect the servanthood of your Lord? You see, on and on and on I could go that this isn't just something abstract, it's actually daily, and it's also specific. God is after the likeness of Jesus Christ in you. I mean, generosity would be better than greed, would it not? The worship of the true and living God would be better than the worship of idols. You know, sometimes I think about this and I think, Lord, you are just more committed to good things than I am. Because here's sometimes what I wish God's goodness meant. I wish God's goodness meant an easier life. You know, why does everything have to be so hard in this process of God doing what God is doing? Why does God's goodness actually have to be hard? I'll answer that in a moment. I wish, uh, what about this? Maybe this is you, a peaceful life. Man, can't things just calm down just for once? Or maybe a prosperous life. I don't want a lot more. I I just want a little more. Not too much more, but enough to feel like I'm, prospering or maybe this maybe it's respected life maybe in your heart it's just respect some you're really longing i wish god's goodness meant more people would be affirming and or maybe it's a free life without bounds i wish god's goodness meant there were no bounds i wish god's goodness meant that there was no law i wish god's goodness meant there were no restraints No boundaries to help me be humble. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe you're in one of those. Maybe it's something else. But if you were to be asked the question, what do you wish God's goodness meant? 
What would you say? And if you're like me, you're kind of asking, why, why is it so hard for me to become like Christ? Because it doesn't always feel good, does it? But it is good in truth. But it doesn't always feel good. So why is it so hard? Well, here's my experience. My experience is this. I love my sin. And I will cling to my sin. And I will hold on to my sin. And I will love what God does not love. And I will love what is terrible for me. And I will cling to it. And I won't let it go. And Psalm 39.11 says that when God disciplines a man with rebukes for sin, he consumes like a moth what is precious to him. And he has to nearly kill me and eat away at it until I let go and go, this is a lot better. What if we just got to this place? God, do whatever you have to do to make me like Jesus Christ and get glory for yourself. If you've never prayed that prayer, that would be a good prayer today, tonight at your bedside, whatever it is, to leave praying. God, do whatever you have to do. No more demands on him and his goodness. No more wishing he should be different than he is. He doesn't owe us anything. We are not victims of his plans. He is doing nothing but being faithful to his promise to us. God, do whatever you have to do to make me like Jesus Christ to get glory for yourself that Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers. So now bring this home specifically for you. This is a daily all things. It's a promise to be brought home. What your wife said, for instance, in the kitchen this week, that fits under the all things. (laughs) What your husband said he would do and, and failed at again, That fits under the banner of of all things. Not first for your husband, but first for you. When your kids act like kids, all things, parent. When God seems to delay in bringing you a spouse, all things. When you're feeling the miles of years gone by, all things. When you get looked over for a promotion or a raise, or your boss doesn't seem to care, all things. When you suffer for your faith anywhere that you go, all things. Do you see? Every day. Everything that happens. What if we went, church, thank you, God, that this is going to be worked together for my good to make me like Jesus Christ. Thank you that you are going to glorify yourself in me through this. If you need some help to just bring the promise home, here's just a couple of really practical thoughts for you. Ask yourself this frequently. 
daily, hourly. God, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Secondly, this. Spend some time thanking God that this, I mean, this promise is true. It's true. Spend some time thanking God daily that he's working for your good to make you like Christ. This isn't on the list, but I'll throw it out there. There's a great old little Puritan book called All Things for Good that, oh man, you could feast on that for a year. Thirdly, this, so that this isn't just big and abstract, I I want you to, to encourage you to consider identifying specifically. How is he making you like Christ? How is it? And if you need some help with that, here's a simple exercise. Go to um, like the fruit of the spirit passage in Galatians chapter five. And when something happens and you're like, God, what are you doing? And you open it up and you see um, the fruits of the spirit. What, what is God up to? And have faith that when he's up to that, it's better. You could do some journaling about how that specific change would be better. He's trying to make you more gentle, you know? You lost it with your boss. He's trying to make you more gentle. Well, spend some time writing down. Why would that be better? And then you just have to do what we all have to do. You participate with God through practice. This is a process in which we participate with God's eternal plan. I just want to leave you with this. You have to know this about your God. This is who he is. This is what he does. This is what he's always doing. He has sovereign goodness running wild to his church. The proof is Jesus Christ. He died on a cross for you in your place. And so what we saying is true. If God is for us, who, what, what can be against us? And that's actually where the, con- the following context goes. Nothing ever changes in terms of God fulfilling this promise to you. Let me close with this quote that I hope heals your soul. It's from an old, old book called The Precious Promises of the Gospel. And he wrote uh, from God's perspective, And here's what he wrote long ago. Afflictions shall prove a wholesome cup to you. Your Lord has drunk the venom into his own body. And what remains for you is but a healthful potion, which I promise shall work for your good. Be not afraid to drink, nor desire that the cup should pass from you. I bless the cup before I give it to you. Drink all of it and be thankful. You shall find my blessing at the bottom of the cup to sweeten the sharpest afflictions to you. Your suffering shall not be a cup of wrath, but a grace cup. It's just so good. Not a curse, but a cure. Not a cup of trembling, but a cup of blessing to you. They shall not hurt you, but heal you. 
Amen? Amen. God is doing all things for your good and his glory. Praise him. Let us pray. Father, I don't even get right now how you make such promises to such as us. That you lower yourself and obligate yourself by the blood of your Son to be faithful, to always be working for our good. Thank you that it's just not about our benefit, but you are jealous for your own glory. Thank you, Father, that you are jealous for your own glory. Thank you that in your jealousy, you will keep being faithful to your promise to make us like your son. God, for Harvest Decatur, we we pray together, whatever you have to do to make this church, to make your precious saints like Jesus Christ and to get glory for yourself, whatever you must do, we pray, do it. Lord, let our church with hearts surrendered to you and submitted to you with faith in your promise receive what you have for us to make us what you desire to make us, to reflect who you are and the overflow of your goodness to us, to a lost world all around us. Oh, thank you. Thank you for condescending to us in grace and giving us such precious promises and doing such useful and good work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.